Welcome to church. We're so glad that you're here today with us. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, man, I'm glad you're inside. It's pouring down rain. Uh, it's good to be in a dry, safe place together. Um, if you're new here, we just want to welcome you to ACF Church. Uh, pray that this is a place that you can kind of wrestle out your faith and your doubts uh, with us together. And uh, if you're wondering kind of what we're about here, we're a church that's dedicated to amplifying the grace of Jesus to the church and the unchurched and the de-churched. And so wherever you find yourself today, we hope that you could uh, be with us here today. We could take a step forward together. Can we also welcome everybody who's with us online? We're glad that you're with us as well today. Got a lot of people who are um, currently deployed, uh, joining us online, people who are overseas, and uh, maybe you're at home, or maybe you're like, hey, for this series, I don't want to be in public listening to this. I just want to be at home and, uh, you know, sit at my dinner table and deal with this at home. And if that's you, we're just, we're glad that you're with us as well. And so uh, we are in a series called High Voltage, and this is week uh, three of this, our final week of this conversation. Aren't you sad? Everybody say, aww, so sad. I know you're so sad. Anyway, it's been a good talk. It's created some great conversations around uh, the dinner table, uh, great conversations on the car rides home. We've heard in life groups, just really good stuff uh, that's going on there lately. Um, But uh, before we get into it too much, just once again, we want to give you a little bit of a uh, parental warning. This is probably a PG-13 sermon. And so if you're brand new and you have your little one with you, uh, we would love to help you get your little one checked into our Illuminate Kids program downstairs. So you can see one of the people in the Love All, Serve All shirts in the back of the room, but um, that's the only warning I'm giving you. So uh, this is kind of swim at your own risk. At this point, uh, if you want the conversation, good on you. Just uh, know it's coming because we're going to get pretty frank about some things uh, with sex here in just a few minutes. And so get ready for that. Um, but the series is called High Voltage. And, and the idea of high voltage is that electricity is a, it's a beautiful gift and it can also kill you. So uh, sex is sort of like that. It's a, it's a beautiful gift. And at the same time, it, for many of us, is uh, the source of a lot of pain and a lot of damage and a lot of uh, just bad history in that department of our lives. And so um, we've talked about it um, from three different perspectives. And so a little illustration for you. Um, anybody like me ever ran over an extension cord with um, your lawnmower or snowblower? Anybody? Yep. So I do it once a year. I, I run one of these over. When the snow starts flying, I forget that it's somewhere out in the driveway. And then I find it shooting out of the little chute um, in my snowblower. And so um, this one was, uh, was a victim of that. So anyway, what we have here is your typical extension cord. And inside your typical cord is a positive wire a negative wire, and then a ground wire. And so the first week was called positive. um, And and we said, you know, we want to start off with a biblical foundation for sex. How does God view sex? And uh, what we've seen in the church for many, many years is the story has been something like this. uh, Sex is bad, and then it's good. So we talk negatively about sex and sexuality, probably to protect our kids, probably to protect ourselves. And then, you know, maybe you get married, and it's like, okay, now it's a good thing. And while we do believe that God has given us boundaries uh, to experience our sexuality in a, in a way that gives the most life to us and to others, at the same time, we're just going to unapologi- unapologetically say that, that God said sex is good. He created it. It wasn't something that was devised by the enemy. It's not something we came up with. You know, we're not that creative. So God came up with sex, and it's a good thing. It's a gift to humanity. And then last week, negative, Pastor Josh did a, uh, an amazing job of just talking about some of the negative aspects of sex in our culture, some of the ways that we've twisted it. And, and just like anything else in our world, God has given us so many good things. 
Now, we don't come up with anything new. What we do is we distort the beautiful things that God gives us. And sex is no different than anything else that we've taken and misused. And so he just talked about some of the ways that we've um, negatively uh, used this, this beautiful gift that God has given us in our lives and um, in our culture. And so this week, talking about grounded, talking about how God wants us to be grounded and Man, I, I, I really prayed a lot about what I wanted to talk about today. I was like, maybe, you know, like the, the 10 steps to being healthy sexually or, you know, how to spice up the bedroom, you know, maybe that'll ground people. And you guys, listen, we're just going to come back to Jesus because we really believe that our, our, our problem with our sexuality is actually a spiritual problem. We're, we are sexually broken as a culture because we are spiritually broken. And we start off with this reality that everybody in this room is broken, and I acknowledge that in a room like this are a lot of different stories. In fact, it's really overwhelming to me to think about how many different uh, stories we have in this room, how many different uh, perspectives we have in this room. Like some of you are here today and you are listening for judgment because your history with the church or with pastors or with maybe the Bible is that it is just nothing but judgment. And so when I speak, you're, you're hoping to hear something like, hey, if you've got a sexual past, get out of the room, right? Which you realize that if I said that, we'd have an empty room, right? You realize that everybody here has a story where we, we've either been through something, done something that we're not super proud of, um, and experienced something maybe that, that has not been good for us in, in, in our sexual world. And so um, understand this. As we talk about this, we're going to go to Scripture, and we're going to go to God's Word. We're going to be grounded in that. And instead of, you know, in our culture, it's just sort of a lot of opinions floating around. We feel like we need a true north when it comes to right and wrong. And so that's what God's word does for us. And so as I talk about what God says about sex, I hope that you don't hear judgment. I hope you hear a loving father that wants the best for his children. That's what this is about, is that God wants the best for us. And really, as we, as we follow in the ways of Jesus, we learn the best way to be human, the best way to enjoy life and to enjoy each other. And so maybe you're here and you're listening for judgment. Like, does he judge me? Did these people judge me? Maybe you're on the other side and um, you're looking for permission. Maybe you're here and you're like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I just, I know Jesus loves me and I know his grace covers everything. And so I just want to hear that his grace is so big that I can do whatever I want. And, and that, that's just as false and, and just as much of a lie to believe that. Um, whenever Jesus interacts with somebody who's broken sexually in his life, he would, always, he would always say, you know what, go and sin no more. Go and live this different life. See, we believe that although God saves us out of our sin, he saves us towards a different type of life, a different way of living. And so I, I just want you to know, like, I hope that you don't hear judgment. I hope you don't just hear permission. Um, I hope what you hear is, once again, that God loves us. His grace is, is significant enough to cover all of our mistakes, but he calls us and, and guides us into something so much better than what we've chosen uh, for ourselves. And so we're going to start off um, this morning and we're going to do a little Q&A. So we're just going to like get right into this. For the past few weeks, we've had a text number on the screen. And uh, actually, I was in a coffee shop this, re this week reading the texting questions. And um, it was all I could do not to just burst into tears reading what people have written in. Um, and I feel it's overwhelming because we got so many questions. Um, I feel like we're just touching the tip of the iceberg this morning. Um, there's so much more going on. And I encourage you, if, if you don't have um, a group of people to talk to about this stuff, um, go out to the lobby, to the Engage table, plug into an ACF group. Um, there are great conversations that are happening about this stuff. Um, go out after church, get some coffee with a friend, and continue the discussion, because there's so much more to talk about that we're not going to hit. Um, but we're going to get into some stuff this morning. And uh, have you had your coffee? Are you ready? 
Ready for this at 11, 15 a.m.? All right, because we're going to do it, and it's going to get real. So um, let's start off with a few questions that we got in. The first is this. My wife and I have often wondered what is okay within our marriage. Is this addressed in the Bible? Did God write a rule book for what is and isn't okay in a healthy marriage? Okay, let's launch right into this. So married people, this is a question obviously from a married couple who's wondering, you know, what's okay in the bedroom? Great question to ask. And so uh, it's one of the questions that, you know, you can't really just ask like WWJD, like what would Jesus do? I don't know, like <laughs> how do we figure this out? And, and I was, as I was thinking about this this week, praise God, I've had a few minutes to process these questions uh, before being in front of you guys. But a few questions that I think you need to ask when trying to figure out like what is good, what is honoring, what is healthy um, for you as a married couple. Uh, the first question is this, is it biblical? Or is, it, is there a biblical prohibition against what we're doing? Um, so that, that's a really basic thing. We go back to Scripture once again as our true north, as the way that we determine right and wrong in this area. Is there a biblical prohibition for this? The next question I think you need to ask is, is it unhealthy? So, I mean, that's just kind of a basic question um, that we should care for our bodies, care for our spouse's bodies. If we're doing anything that's, that's hurting them, that's not, first of all, that's just not super fun. And second of all, uh, that's not good. That's not something that we... Uh, should do. So is it biblical? Is it healthy? And the last question I would ask that I think is really important is, uh, is, it, is it unkind? Is it unbiblical? Is it unhealthy? Is it unkind? I don't know if you know this, but in our uh, society, there's a trend that's not moving towards more respect sexually. It's towards less respect. And so I would tell you as a married couple, if you're doing anything in your bedroom that's contributing to less respect, less honor, less love and care um, and security, um, in, in that relationship, in that experience, don't do it. Don't do it. Is it biblical? Is it healthy, unhealthy, or is it unkind? Um, the next question is kind of like, well, what are we actually talking about here? Um, what types of things? So can I be real with you? Okay, sweet. First service, somebody in the back was like, it's 9 a.m. I'm so not ready for this. Um, I love that somebody over here said yes. So I'm just doing it taking that as all your answers. So some of the things that might be in mind, um, maybe oral sex is something that's in your mind. Like, is this biblical? What is this? A couple things first. Once again, we're talking to married people, um, single people, you know, oral sex is sex. Uh, it, it just is. It's like saying banana pancakes aren't pancakes. They're, they're pancakes, just like oral sex is sex. So just once again, if you're trying to like weasel your way into this conversation, this is for the married people. Um, but in terms of married people, we do, we see oral sex in scripture. It's in, in the Song of Solomon. It's actually in there. You're like, I love the Bible now. It's in the Bible. Um, other people might hate it. I don't know. I don't know where you're coming from on this whole thing. But this is a question for people, but I think you've got to run this through the same filter. Is it unbiblical? Is it, is it unhealthy? And is it unkind? And, and anything that would be unkind would be anything that isn't agreed upon as a couple. If there's pressure, if there's pushing, if there's forcing, if you're trying to live out some sort of pornographic fantasy, then you need to deal with that. But if this is something that two people have figured out and said, hey, this is okay in our relationship, then, then, then that's something that you guys have to, have to figure out. I don't know, maybe you're thinking about, you know, like, like spicing up the bedroom, toys and things in the bedroom. I don't know what this couple is thinking about specifically. But once again, same filter. Is, is it unbiblical? Is it unhealthy? Is it unkind? But even down that road, if you're starting to, you know, purchase things, I just encourage you to, to kind of like, to, first to struggle through where are you going to buy them, right? You just can't go to Fred Meyer. I don't know. Fred Meyer? 
Walmart, I don't know where you go to get things like this. Um, And you might have to walk into a store that you might not want, like your kindergarten, your kid's kindergarten teacher seeing you walking into. And and like if you're shopping online, like now you're surfing the internet and you got to be careful. And and so you just, you need to think about once again, why are we asking these questions? Um, Is there, are we trying to do something to to fix a problem? Do we have an issue um, in our relationship? Do we have something that we need to communicate about um, as a couple that we're trying to kind of cover up the issue by uh, engaging in these other things? And I would encourage you, deal with the source issue. Um, But if you're searching for other things to just enjoy with each other, enjoy that with each other. But be careful where you go shopping. So um, i got to just share this story. This is funny. So uh, a few years ago, I was a youth pastor, and um, we were coming up on Halloween, and we were doing a Halloween party, and I needed to dress up as something. And, and it, was, it was the same year that the movie Avatar came out. Remember Avatar? All the blue people dressed as, like, Amazon people. And so I'm like, I'm going to dress up like, like an Avatar person. And so I knew that I needed to be blue, right? Like Blue Man Group blue. And so, I, of course, what I do, I go on eBay, and I look for blue body paint. Some of you know where this is going. Um, and so I type in blue body paint. I, I get some on eBay, and it's like, you know, whatever, 15 bucks for this quart of blue body paint. It's just a can, you know, in the picture. And so I, I hit purchase. I buy the stuff, and it, you know, it worked out great. Well, three weeks later, I get my credit card bill. And some of you who have purchased things on eBay know that when you charge something on eBay, on your credit card bill, it doesn't say eBay. It says, like, the seller, right? It says the seller's name. And so I'm going down through my credit card bill. I'm sitting there at the kitchen table. And it's like, you know, Starbucks, Fred Meyer, sexualfantasyaccessories.com, <laughs> or something like that. Don't type that in. That might be a real website. Anyway, and I'm like, honey, uh, we got some explaining to do, right? We got to talk about this. She's wondering what's going on here, right? And I swear, it's just the paint for youth group. So anyway, just think about, think about where you're getting stuff. Think about why you're doing it. Um, get back to the source of, of what this question is about and make sure you're uh, making decisions together um, with respect and honor to each other. So that's all I have to say about that. Um, next question. How do you take steps back with your partner once you have already had premarital sex and crossed that line to get back on the correct path? Can that even happen? Um, really good question. So, so first thing to answer is the last question, which is, yes, it can. Um, yes, it can. You can absolutely take a step back and get back on the right path. So um, a few things. If this is you, or if maybe you relate to this question, and, and maybe you are um, dating, with, and, and so you guys have crossed this line, and, and you know that, hey, we're trying to honor God in this relationship. The first thing is, I think, to have a conversation and, and verify that you both um, are shooting the same direction with the same boundaries on your physical relationship. Um, far too many people, God-loving Christian people are like, eh, we'll just figure it out when we'll get there. No, you don't, right? It's like been a late night, and you just watched a movie together, and you're at home, and you're just, I mean, you're going to figure something out, but it's not going to be to draw a boundary, right? And so you got to be honest with yourself, and honest with each other, and, and, and far too many people wait way too long to talk a bit about these standards. And, and, you know, maybe it's not like your first date, you know, that you're like, hey, by the way, this is, this is my lines. But may, maybe you, after the second or third date, you're like, he, the, these are the boundaries. We're going we're gonna to stop here. And uh, that should be respected and, and believed for both of you. If one of you isn't in the same place, odds are you're going to go towards the person who's a little bit more liberal in their boundaries and keep moving farther than, uh, than you intend to. Um, another thing I would, I would encourage you to do 
And I would, I would say this to anybody in every rela- any relationship where there's been some kind of sexual boundary broken or maybe something has, has gone wrong that you just stop and there, there's a place for confession and repentance in a relationship. And there's a place for you if, if you're like, hey, we've gone too far as, as a couple that you would stop and you would own your part of that. And that you'd go to the other person and you'd say, you know what, I was part of making this decision to go this far. I don't believe that honored you the way that I should have. And so I want to take a step back. And so I want to ask your forgiveness for being part of that. I, I think there's a real place for that as well. But then the, the, the last thing here is, is, can this even happen? Can I take a step back? And I, I really believe that it can. Um, it's a little bit, I get it. H- has anybody ever opened their Christmas present early? Like found one in the closet? Okay, so this is a little bit like you found a Christmas present on, you know, like, I don't know, December 20, 20th or something like that. And, and so you open it up, you knew what it was, then it gets to, to Christmas and you're like, yay, act like you didn't see it. But you did, right? There's no acting like, there's no acting like you haven't had sex. You've had sex. Like it, it happened. But um, what, what many people do is like, well, I opened one, let's open all of them, right? Let's just kind of go for it and enjoy ourselves at this point. I would, I would encourage you to take a step back and go, no, um, this was a mistake uh, to, to go farther than we believe we should have. Um, let's step back and let's choose purity now. Because I really believe that your ability, if this is going towards marriage, like if you're dating to get married, which I would encourage you, that's kind of the only reason to date is to pursue a marriage relationship. If you're doing that, that the, the, the patterns you set as a dating couple will then go into your marriage relationship. And your inability to set boundaries as a dating couple will be an inability to set boundaries as a married couple. And so you want to start off early um, drawing good boundaries and going, listen, let's pull back. Let's be disciplined because we need to be disciplined the rest of our lives, setting patterns for today. So um, yeah, I think that's a great question. The third question is this. Can men and women really have friends of the opposite sex beside their spouse? It's a really interesting question. This person, there's a lot more to the question than that, um, from their upbringing and being in a church where it's like men can talk to women and things like that. Um, I want to hit this from a couple different sides. Uh, The first side would be if you're on the side of jealousy, maybe you're the kind of person that like you just are jealous when the other person is talking to somebody of the opposite sex. Um, I would encourage you to like to figure out where that jealousy is coming from. Have they done something to break your trust? Is there something going on in their life that you don't want to ask them about? Instead, you just want to get mad at them every time they say hi to the, you know, checkout girl at, you know, the grocery store. I mean, whatever, like, are you dealing with the true issue down inside of you? Now, this question has, I got some skin in the game in this. So I, I married a girl who is super athletic, and I am not. So she is, she's a runner, and so when we first were dating, she'd go, like, running with these super in-shape guys who had, like, abs and, uh, and I was, like, always really insecure. So then I just started running with her and these guys and puking my guts out. Um, I hated every second of it, but just out of sheer jealousy of this girl. And so we, we started t- having conversations about this. And um, we realized that we needed to figure out what these boundaries were. Um, so, so maybe you're on the jealous side. Maybe you're on the other side. And you're like, I don't know. I feel like I should be able to hang out um, with anybody I want to. What you need to know is that when you, when you enter into this marriage relationship, or even as you're dating, where this is going is to the point that um, no other person of the opposite sex, no other person's opinion matters as much as that of your spouse. Like, it doesn't matter what he or she thinks of you. It matters what your spouse thinks of you. 
And so there is a way that you then go like, how do I help you? How do I care for you? If this relationship is making you uncomfortable, what kind of boundaries do I need to draw on the relationship so that we can be good, so that you can trust me? You see both sides, like, let's build trust, let's build the relationship, but then let's try to serve each other in, in whatever way we can to make the other person uh, believe that, that everything's okay um, as, as much as possible. So protect the relationship. One of the things the person said is, uh, hey, I know that, that Jesus had relationships with the opposite sex, so, uh, and I'm like, Jesus was also the Messiah. Um, <laughs> People do this all the time. They're like, well, Jesus did it. Yeah, Jesus also went to the cross and was crucified for the world. And so, I don't know, like, you can follow in the ways of Jesus, but there are things that Jesus can do that maybe you shouldn't do. And maybe you just should understand that, you know, there are places you don't need to be, people you don't need to be around, um, maybe old relationships that rekindle some certain emotions inside of you that you just need to, like, draw some space between you and the, those other people. Um, I'd encourage you to, to do that draw healthy boundaries, and just understand that after you get married, your relationship with anybody else of the opposite sex needs to change. It needs to change. Um, it's okay that it's going to change. Don't convince yourself that everything's going to be the same. I'm going to be buddies with this girl after I'm married. And, and as a pastor, listen, I have to do the same thing. I have to be really careful about this. Um, you know, people will, I'll get emails and people who are like, sometimes from, from women who will email me like, hey, I'm dealing with this sexual issue and I've got this problem. Just understand, if you send me an email like that, I'm going to pass you immediately on to one of our female staff. I'm, and it's not because I don't care. I'm just not going to, I'm not going to have the conversation with you. Um, I'm going to protect you and honor you by not <laughs> engaging in that with you. And so um, just understand, like, whatever that looks like for you, draw boundaries and honor your spouse. Um, there's so many more questions we don't have time to get to, so I'd encourage you to definitely get in a group, have some good talks with um, each other after this, but um, I want to get into some scripture here today, and we're going to talk about a moment in Jesus's life, I think that was, was really an amazing shaping moment for Christ as he began his ministry, and, and I think for us as we consider how to move forward sexually, that, that we can learn a lot from Christ in this moment. This is the moment Jesus gets baptized. And so could you stand up with me? We're going to read God's word, and we're going to pray that God speaks to us through this. So this is Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Can we pray together? God, thank you so much for the community that we have here. Um, God, I, I just know there's so many stories that are represented in this room here today. And so, God, I ask that you'd allow us to come back to you. Um, God, as, as the one opinion that should be driving our life, God, as the true north um, for all of our decisions and all of um, our choices. God, we are broken in this area. We have walls up. Um, God, we're defensive. Um, and, and God, many of us, we're just not so sure that your way is even better. So, God, would you speak to us, con convict us, um, God, would you be present in this place, that your spirit would be in this room, uh, speaking to our hearts and changing us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. 
so we're going to get into this in just a minute. Um, this moment in Jesus' life, it was such a shaping moment for him. I think we have a lot that we can draw from it. But I just want to, I want to come back to this idea of being grounded. We really need to be grounded in something. There, there are so many opinions going on. And for most people, when it comes to finding out what to do with sex, uh, they'll go to Barnes & Noble and try to find one of the you know, 10,000 books about sexuality. Maybe you do a Google search online. And because of this, there are just so many conflicting ways of dealing with this part of our lives. There's influences from your friends, from your family members, from all over. And so we need to be grounded in something. And you can write this down. Um, ungrounded sexuality will leave you in shock. It's just going to leave you in shock. I worked hard on that one, by the way. Ungrounded sexuality will leave you in shock. And once again, many of you know this. You've got stories where you kind of went with the flow. You went with what felt good. You chose what other people influenced you towards. And, or you were maybe a victim to somebody else acting out something sexually. And because of that, you are still feeling the pain from that. I believe that we are intended to be grounded, grounded in Christ, grounded in his word. And because of that, we're able to step forward and be healthy people. So you may ask, well, how do I get grounded, Brian? What does it look like to be grounded? I, and I think to talk about being grounded sexually, uh, we have to talk about marriage. And so here's the thing. Marriage in our, in our culture is becoming a little less unpopular. Have you seen this? Uh, you've seen people that are waiting longer and longer to get married. Fewer and fewer people are choosing to be married. Mar- even marriage in itself is sort of like, a, like an outdated idea. Um, but marriage is the God-ordained context to enjoy to every, every potential ability, to enjoy sexuality to its fullest. Like God has given us a context to enjoy what he's given us as a gift. And that context is marriage. In marriage, I just want to make a case for you that God gave us marriage, and marriage is good. Marriage is a gift. And I know for some of you, you're like, I grew up with a married couple, and I watched it not be such a gift. I I watched them destroy each other. I watched this this household of just so much turmoil. Um, Some of you are a couple divorces in, and you're like, it hasn't been a gift for me. But once again, we don't want to throw out marriage because of our experiences with it. We believe that God created marriage. And that it was, it was a gift to us. And in fact, there's um, a guy named Tim Keller from his book, uh, The Meaning of Marriage. He writes this. Marriage is a lifelong monogamous relationship between man and a woman. According to the Bible, God devised marriage to reflect the saving love, love for us in Christ, to refine our character, to create stable human community for the birth and nurture of children, and to accomplish all this by bringing the complementary sexes into an enduring whole life union. Wow, right? I mean, marriage is big. I mean, look at the calling that God has laid on us to be a representation of God's deep love for his church by getting married. I mean, it's such a big thing that God has given us. And I would, I would argue with you, based on tons of research, that married sex is the best sex. I really believe that. And, and all, all the married people would say, sort of amen, right? Like, it can be, but that's not been everybody's experience. So the, 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 the research is pretty clear that when, when you look at people who express this, this sexual part of their lives in marriage relationships, they end up having the best sex lives because within marriage is this security, this commitment, this safety, this knowing that you don't have with anybody else in your life. And it turns out that that intimacy actually contributes to a better sex life. 
And so people who don't know anything, you know, maybe don't know anything about Jesus, aren't committed to um, the ways of Scripture, are seeing that within a marriage relationship, you have the opportunity, uh, let's say opportunity, to have absolutely the best sex within a marriage relationship. So if you're like, well, mar- you know, if we get married, it's going to be terrible. Or, or maybe I, I know this married couple who, you know, struggle sexually. Don't use that as a reason to resist marriage. Because once again, within that commitment is really where, um, where this part of your life can come to life. And, and just think about it from a, from a spiritual perspective. What does it look like when you get saved? So the moment that we get saved, what we do is it's essentially the choice that we make to give up being our own God. So we live life making decisions on our own, choosing what we want, and then we find Jesus and we say, you know what, you need to be the the leader and Lord of my life. I'm going to give authority to you. I'm going to submit myself to you. And when you do that, that's the beginning of salvation. That's that's a decision to to submit to God, and that is the beginning of, of what's called spiritual intimacy with God, is when you give up your rights. And what I would, I would, tell you today is that that is the the same beginning of 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 physical intimacy is the moment that you give up your rights you can't retain your rights and experience this deep physical intimacy it's the moment that you say i'm gonna get married right i am in this sink or swim right we're gonna we're gonna do this thing and and you know when when you and i are old and gray and and everything's droopy and we look terrible and we're falling apart we're still going to be in this and we're still going to be pursuing this and and I'm, i'm in this for life that that it turns out is where our sexuality can thrive is within that safety security and commitment of a marriage sex without intimacy is just a transaction i mean it's about as intimate as going to the grocery store and buying a bag of chips, right? It's like, I'm going to give you money, you give me chips, and we'll keep doing this as long as it's good for both of us. But the day it doesn't, uh, the day it's not good, like, I'm going I'm to back out. It, it's a transaction. No, that's, that's not how sex was ever meant to be. It's meant to be experienced within this committed, lifelong, life-giving relationship uh, of marriage. So a few questions I, I kind of was thinking as I was uh, wrestling with this this week was, first, like, why don't people get married? Why do people date for 27 years? And they're still dating, right? Um, I think a few things. First is just this avoidance of commitment. Like we just don't want that type of commitment. What's interesting about this is the people that don't want to commit to marriage are the same people that then move in together, buy a house together, buy a dog together, buy a flat screen TV together, maybe have children together. You think that you're avoiding commitment? Like, seriously, I mean, let's, let's just be honest about this. You're not avoiding commitment at all. You just don't want to sign on the dotted line. But that signing on the dotted line, that making that legal before the state of Alaska decision to be married, I believe is the beginning of this true commitment where you can actually thrive as a couple. So maybe it's like the avoidance of commitment. Maybe it's a fear of, of, of the breakup, right? People don't want to be married because they don't want to be divorced, Maybe your parents were divorced. Maybe you've been through this. Um, and you think, well, if I just don't get married, I'm going to save myself the pain. I just tell you that's not going to be the case at all. As you walk down the road and, and you're giving your heart to somebody over the years, just because you don't sign on the dotted line does not mean you're going to save yourself from the pain of a breakup. I mean, I, I know people who have had breakups in a dating relationship and have seemed to like struggle with it more than people who have gone through divorces. And so you can give your heart even without signing on the dotted line, and deal with the pain and the fallout of that no matter what. 
And so maybe it's, maybe it's that, just a, a fear of commitment, a fear of the pain, of the, the fallout. Um, another question that I had was, why don't people stay married? Uh, divorce rates are, always seem to be on the rise. People, um, people that I would never think would get divorced are getting divorced. And I'm like, man, where does that come from? A few things. Um, I don't think that social media is helping us a whole lot. Um, do you guys know, like, how many Facebook affairs there are? I mean, thousands of people, and I know some of you who have dealt with this, where, um, you know, you're just surfing the web, and bloop, you get a little, little private message from somebody. It's like, oh, I knew this girl back in junior high school, and I wonder what they're up to, or this guy. And Before you know it, you're this, in this emotional relationship with somebody, romanticizing the good old days when you didn't have kids or a job and, you know, all these responsibilities. And before you know it, you're giving up what's real and right in front of you for something that's a fantasy that doesn't even exist. And so for some people, it's just this, this, the internet and, and not drawing boundaries. I'll just tell you, you probably don't need to be private messaging people that aren't your spouse. You, you probably don't need to be on the internet after nine o'clock at night. You probably just need to draw some boundaries when it comes to um, social media and things like that. Um, uh, for some people, it's unmet expectations uh, where you get married and it's just not what you thought it was going to be. And let me just tell you, if you think about getting married, it's not going to be what you thought it was going to be. <laughs> From a married guy to you. Um, it's just not. Your expectations are going to have to change. Um, and I know you start off, and he's your knight in shining armor, and you're, she's the princess, and you saved her from the dragon, and now you're going to go off, and you're going to live happily ever after. But it, it's just, then life, and college, and kids, and jobs, and then you got fired, and then, you know, things got, just got harder, and, and you have to figure it out. In the meantime, unmet expectations. How about people change? Sometimes people don't stay married because the other person changes. How many times have you heard this? He's not the same man I married. She's not the same woman I married. Well, I hope not. It's been like 10 years, right? They're just not going to be the same person. And, and I hope they're not the same person. But what that means is you're going to have to continually learn how to fall in love with that person and know that they will never fulfill you as a human being. In fact, I ran across this quote this week from a guy named Stanley Hauerwas, who's a, a professor at Duke University. And he says this, destructive to marriage is the self-fulfillment ethic that assumes marriage and the family are primarily institutions of personal fulfillment, necessary for us to become whole and happy. The assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry, and that if we look closely enough, we will find the right person. The moral assumption overlooks a crucial aspect to marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that we always marry the wrong person. We never know whom we marry, we just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person... Just give it a while, and he or she will change. For marriage, being the enormous thing that it is, means that we are not the same person after we have entered it. The primary problem is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. That's marriage. It's not what you think it is. Uh, marriage may be more about changing you than it is about fulfilling you. It may be the, 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 the place by which God reaches in and gets a hold of your heart and shows you all of the junk in your life so that he can refine you to be who he wants you to be. That's been the truth in my life. I'll tell you, I never knew how much of a jerk I was till I got married. And I never knew how selfish I was till I had kids. It's just this journey of like self-awareness. You realize how depraved you are. Um, at no point do you, fig do, you, do you realize, hey, I figured this out. It just, it kind of gets worse, folks. But that's just honesty. That's just the reality of it. 
And when you put two people in that kind of context in January in Alaska, and the snow's coming down, it's 30 below, you will find the cracks in your integrity. You will find the cracks in your identity. You'll find the issues in your relationships. Um, that's just how it works. And then you work through it, or you blow out sideways and you give up. But I'm just telling you, there's so much fruit, so much opportunity in working through it, in working hard to, to, to make it work. But too many people see that other person as a fulfillment opportunity. Too many people are looking to another person uh, to complete them. In fact, we say things like, well, here's, you know, I'd say maybe here's Amanda, my, my other half, right? And what you need to know today, listen, single people and married people, is that you are a complete person. That God, when he made you, he didn't make half a person. He didn't give you half of the image of God. He actually created you in his image, whole and full and complete, all on your own. You are a full, complete person, and no other person will make you whole. And if you do feel like that's the case, if you are waiting for that other person to to, to kind of finish your life out, and at that point, man, then I'm going to be a complete person, man, you're going to put pressure on them that they cannot deal with. They were never meant to carry that kind of weight You can write this down. Relationships are a beautiful gift, but a terrible God. They're a beautiful gift. God gives us other people to walk this life with and to learn more about ourselves with. It's a beautiful gift, but a terrible God. And you know that that other person is a God or that person that you're supposed to meet someday is a God. When when somebody asks you, how do you deal with aloneness? I think for married and single people, we need to figure this out. How do we do alone? Who are we apart from this other human being? Can we be a a whole, complete person alone? Like like for some people, like a haunted house this time of year would be, you know, going in, there's little demons and people with chainsaws. For other people, like hell is just alone, right? Just put me in a white room alone. That is the worst thing possible. Because when we're alone, we start to kind of deal with all of our insecurities. We start to realize where our hearts truly are. You start to find what your God actually is. For many of us, It's that person that we have or the person that we're supposed to be one day in the future. What do you do with aloneness? I think all of this just comes down to this this inability to know who we are as people. We just, we as a society have a terrible identity issue. And it comes out in all kinds of different ways. This, this type of year, we're coming into, you know, Black Friday's coming. We're coming into Christmas. We're all going to spend our life savings or a PFD if there's any of it left on all kinds of stuff that we don't need and other people don't need. And I remember just growing up, coming into Christmas, and our family was always like, oh, we're going we're gonna to pull it back this year. We're going to rain it back. And every single year on December 24th, you know, it's a pile of presents from the floor to the ceiling. You can't even see the stupid tree because there's so many presents. And, and it's, it's a gift. I get it, like... Like, that's a blessing, and at the same time, to some degree, it's an identifier of of our inability to just be okay without the stuff, or even without the other person. Are we we okay alone? Um, (laughs) I I, I had this conversation with my wife a while back. It's probably five or six years ago, but um, Amanda and I, when we first started dating, we, we could have given classes on how not to fight, because, man, we, uh, it was terrible. Like, it was, it, was, it was movie stuff. This was Hollywood type of stuff. You'd be embarrassed. Um, I am, just looking back at, like, the way that we used to fight about stuff. And so we were, like, having an argument one day, and, you know, it's like, the day after, and we're both kind of uncomfortable, and, you know, it's that awkward, like, what's up? You know, I don't know how to talk to you at this point kind of conversation. Married people know what I'm talking about. And so I'm like, I don't know how to talk to you. And she, at this point, had been, like, reading some stuff, and she had a mentor that's speaking into her life, and 
And, uh, you know, she, she came up to me and she's like, you know what? I just had this realization, you know? And I'm like, it's about time. <laughs> of course. Lay it on me. <laughs> Honey, you were right. It's always been me. It's not about you. No. So I'm like, okay, bring it on. Lay it on me. And she goes, yeah, here's the realization. I realized that you're never going to be enough for me. And I was like, wow. That's not what I expected. Um, kind of brutal. She goes, she's like, no, you don't get it. You don't get it. Like, um, this is a really good thing. I'm like, it doesn't sound like a good thing. She goes, no, I've, I've thought about this a lot. And um, I've realized that I am looking to you um, to, to finish me, to complete me, uh, to fulfill me in ways that you're always going to fail at. And I'm like, it doesn't sound so great yet. She's like, no, it, it really is a good thing. She, she's like, I feel like I've been putting a pressure on you uh, to fulfill me, to carry a weight that only God can carry. And I will tell you that that was the beginning of a shift in our relationship. Um, that was the beginning of, of her being able to, I think, accept me and me being able to accept her uh, for who she was. It was the beginning, I think, of us kind of understanding who we are apart from each other so that we could know who we are together. Because I, I really believe this. If you can't find peace with who you are, you will never be able to love someone for who they are. If you can't understand who you were made to be, if you don't know your identity, you will never be able to love anybody else for who they are. And this passage in Matthew chapter 3 is a moment of identity for Christ. This is a moment that, it's really interesting what's going on here. We see this, this guy brought to the scene, this man named John the Baptist. And, and John at this point is, is sharing this message, this message of, of repentance to the world. He's called the herald, the, the one who was ma making a way for Jesus. He's kind of like the announcer, like Jesus is coming. And he's, he's baptizing people. But his baptism was something that people had never experienced. You see, this idea of like being cleansed for your, from your sins, that, that had been around. The idea of being cleansed by water and, and, and these, these ritual washings, people, religious people understood that. You know, like you go screw it up, you go back and you go get cleansed. And then you go screw it up, then you go back and you go get cleansed. You go screw it up, you go wash again. You just keep, it's this journey of continually washing and washing. But, but John's baptism is called a baptism of repentance. And repentance is just a new way of thinking. And so John is, is setting up this new, this new movement of people who are going to be the people of God, not because of their, their spiritual heritage, not because of all the good things that they'd done, but because they had been baptized into this, this new life, this baptism of repentance. They, they had this new way of thinking and seeing the world. And then Jesus hits the scene. The one who, who John was, 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 was foreshadowing, the one who would, who would come after John and continue the same message, repent, believe, there is good news to be heard for the world. And let's pick it up. Let's pick it up in verse 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. You see, to this point, the way the religious people, the religious leader had talked about getting righteousness would be through the, the washing and the rituals. But Jesus gives them something new, and John is giving them some, something new, this new way of thinking. Like, it's not, it's not enough just to be regretful. And that's what I think people have been living on in our society for years, is like, hey, if I just feel enough regret, then I can change my life. And for them, it was the same thing. You go screw it up, you feel regret, you go do the ritual cleansing. 
You see, religion always leaves you at regret. That's what religion always does. Like, you have to keep coming back to church because you feel regret. But then Jesus hits the scene and brings this totally new thing where, where he, he runs into this woman at the well. Remember this? And the woman at the well, she's, she's dipping water out of the well, and he's like, I'm going to give you water that will quench your thirst for all of eternity. Like a water, a, a well that will spring up inside of you, a, a river of life inside of you that will never run dry. This symbol of water, and that, that being this, this thing of life, is all throughout Scripture. But up until this point, people had this idea and this, this ritual, you've got to keep going back, you've got to keep getting clean, you've got to keep getting cleaned up. But this new baptism of repentance, this new thing that Jesus was bringing, this, this good news, was that you could be clean once and for all. That you could come to Jesus Christ, and you could be made new. You could actually be made pure once and for all. The person with the question, hey, I screwed it up. I made a bad choice. Can we start over? The answer through Christ Jesus is yes. Yes, you can. And so Jesus shows up with this. He shows up to John, and John, can you imagine? John is, he's a, he's a normal guy. He's kind of a crazy guy. He runs around in this, this coat made of fur with a leather belt, and he runs around talking about this, this good news, this kingdom of God that's coming, this baptism of repentance, and then, but he's still just a normal guy. He's a sinner like anybody else. But then Jesus hits the scene. John knows he's the Messiah, and Jesus wants to get baptized. This is kind of a question. Like, why would Jesus want to get baptized? I think a few reasons. First off, Jesus wants to affirm the ministry of John. He shows up, and he gets baptized to say, what this man has been saying, I am the continuation of. I affirm and approve John's ministry. The second reason I believe Jesus wanted to get baptized was to foreshadow what was to come. If you don't know what baptism is, if you're like, I have no idea what this is about, it's simply this, it's a symbol. So you get baptized, you go under the water, and it's a symbol of death to your old self. Like that old version of you, that old person that used to act in this way and speak in this way and do these things that you're not proud of, like that old dead person is dead. We're putting them to death. And they come up out of the water and it's like, it's a symbol of this resurrection, this new life that you have now in Christ Jesus. So Jesus gets baptized a foreshadowing of what would come in his life. All those who are watching would have seen Jesus go under the water, a symbol of death, that Christ would die for the sins of the world, but he wouldn't stay in the grave. And Jesus comes out of the water as a foreshadowing of his resurrection and his new life for the world. And so it continues on. It says this in verse 16, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. That's cool. It's a cool moment for everybody watching. The heavens get opened up, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. It's one of the few moments in scriptures that we have what's called the Trinity, where we have the Father, he's going to speak in a second. We have the Son, who's being baptized, and the Spirit of God descending on Christ like a dove. It's so interesting that he chooses this imagery, descending like a dove. And the, the, the first time we see a dove in scripture is in Genesis chapter 8, when, when Noah, remember Noah and the ark, and the, the whole world floods, and and, and he wants to find out, are the waters receding? And he sends out a dove, and the dove comes back with an olive branch, which still to this day is a symbol of peace. So so interesting, when the Spirit of God shows up, you know what people get? Peace. So the Spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove. In verse 17, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved. This is the Father speaking to the Son. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The third reason I think Jesus got baptized is because he identified himself with those who needed saving. In this moment, Jesus wanted to reach out 
to a broken humanity and show them what it looked like to go from death to life. Did Jesus need to be baptized? Was he a sinner? No, of course not. Jesus didn't have any sins to repent of. He simply got baptized to show you and me that we could partake in everything that Christ has. And in that moment where where, where Jesus then is baptized, the Father speaks to Jesus. This is so cool. Jesus hadn't done any miracles that we know of yet. He's just been an average guy growing up, learning, and we don't know much of his life up till this point, but at this point, before he does any of his ministry, the father looks at the son and says, I am pleased with you. I love you. You are my son. Jesus gets baptized to show you and me that we can partake in everything that is Christ's, that we can, be, we can live in the approval given by the father, that we can actually have that today. And, and, and listen, I believe that this is the source of our sexual brokenness, is that we don't know who we are that we have not yet believed the Father and received this new identity given to us in Christ Jesus. Because when you step into that, when you actually have the Father, the the, the God of the universe, the the highest authority that exists, looking at you saying, listen, you are my son, you are my daughter, I, I approve of you before you've done anything, I approve of you after you've done all of that because you are covered with the blood of Jesus. When you receive that, you've got nothing left to prove. When you receive that, you can love another human being for who they are that they don't have to fulfill you because Christ has already done that. When you receive that, you can be yourself and the pressure is off. You can be single, you can be married, you can be divorced at this season, but you can know who you are in Christ. That's how we stay grounded. So Jesus gets baptized as a symbol of what we would need to do to receive this new life. I truly believe that we are sexually broken because we are spiritually broken. You see, what you do sexually flows from who you are spiritually. It flows from inside of you. So I don't want to give you 10 steps to fix your life, 10 ways to kick a habit with porn. I mean, that's good stuff. Maybe you need mentorship. Maybe you need counseling. Maybe you need to talk about it. That's great stuff. But every one of these behaviors, you see, it's a symptom. The symptom of this issue and not knowing who we truly are. So Jesus gets baptized as a symbol of what we could do that we could have everything Christ has. Who is Christ? Pure, holy, spotless, loved by the Father, secure, safe, full of peace, that we can have that in Christ. And I want that for all of us here today. And so here's the thing. I want to give you an opportunity. Um, We didn't have this planned. It just felt like this week that God was laying it on my heart that we would offer an opportunity to, uh, to be baptized this morning. And so we have a tank up here, and um, here we read in this scripture, Jesus models for us what it looks like to, to go from death to life. And um, you and I need to put to death our old self. We need to receive new life in Christ. And, and, and baptism, once again, it, it's the first act of obedience for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's the very first thing we do. We throw our pride to the side, and we say, listen, I am willing to go public and say that Jesus is the Lord of my life. I am going to give up my rights and I'm going to receive my new life in Christ. And so baptism is just a symbol. The water doesn't save you. It's just water in a plastic tank. But Jesus can save you. And those who are in Christ Jesus, what they do is they get baptized. They step forward and do that. And they go public with their faith and say, I'm, I'm, I'm taking this seriously. And so throughout this series, and maybe, maybe just today, maybe if God's been speaking to your heart, and maybe you know, like, hey, Brian, if, if I'm honest, um, the God of my life is my relationship. 
Or maybe it's something completely different. You've realized that something else actually has authority in your life and you're going to make the decision, maybe today, to give Jesus authority in your life. I believe that's the decision to, to step into this new resurrected life. I believe that's salvation and that your very next step is to get baptized. Uh, maybe you're baptized as an infant and you didn't make that decision for yourself. You had no choice in the matter. But as an adult, you are choosing to follow Jesus and, and you know uh, maybe that today is your day to make that decision to go public with your faith. I just want to encourage you not to leave here without taking up that opportunity. And so what we've got is out in the lobby, we've got uh, some people there that would love to talk to you. And so just as we start singing, just go out there and they've got shirts and shorts in case you're like, well, I can't get baptized in this. Maybe you can't, but we got shorts and shirts for you. And, and so no excuses. If today's your day, um, if you know this is a new start and a new opportunity for you to step into life in Christ, just go out to the lobby get checked in. I'd love to baptize you here in just a few minutes. So can we pray together? God, thank you so much uh, that you care about every aspect of our life. God, there is no portion of this world that you don't care about. So God, I just, I, I think of all the people in this room today, God, those who are carrying burdens from many years ago, could today be the day that they lay those down before you? Uh, that you heal open wounds that you restore brokenness within, within our hearts. God, could, day, could, could today be the day of repentance? If someone in this room has not believed you, God, that you truly have our best interest in heart. God, that you truly offer the most life as we follow you, that today would be the day that they choose to believe. I pray for the person today, God, that uh, it's their day to get baptized. They're scared and need the courage to just stand up, God, that you would give them courage. Give them faith. And God, for all of us, that all that we do, God, would be under the banner of your grace. Father, we know that none of this can happen on our own, that we need your spirit to work within us. And we know that it may be later on today that we already fail, God, but we know that your grace is sufficient for our weakness, that your strength is made perfect in our brokenness. So heal up the brokenhearted. Bind us up here today, God. We receive your grace and your love. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.